This podcast covers mature, intense, morbid, and sometimes just scary stuff. Listener discretion is advised. Imagine living your life inside a metal machine, unable to breathe on your own. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we explore topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. I'm Jessica Vasami. Polio, as we know it, was once one of the most pervasive and threatening infectious viruses in North America. It mainly targeted children, five and under, and it was debilitating. Yeah, kids back then were not even allowed to swim in public pools, and a lot of the pools were shutting down because of the high risk factor for transmission. The virus migrates from the gastrointestinal tract into the central nervous system. The muscles in the person's body become weak, floppy, and poorly controlled. And finally, full paralysis. About five out of every thousand cases develop the paralysis symptoms from the disease. There were several epidemics throughout the late 19th and early 20th century. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, is one of the more well-known victims of the virus. On August 10th, 1921, at just 39 years old, while vacationing in Campobello Island, Roosevelt began experiencing a fever, ascending paralysis, facial paralysis, bowel and bladder dysfunction, numbness, and respiratory problems. By August 12th, two days later, both of Roosevelt's legs were paralyzed. A day later, his chest was paralyzed and he couldn't urinate or have bowel movements on his own. Roosevelt eventually was diagnosed with polio and he came very close to death and he was left permanently paralyzed from the waist down. But he still wanted to run for office. Yes, and he's technically the first and from what we know, only disabled president of the United States. Mm -hmm. He did not want people to know how sick he was, and he tried to hide it from the American public most of his life. Though, you know, if you look online, you can see, oh, there were articles in Time magazine that talked about his condition, etc. Though he was very, very careful to never be seen using his wheelchair in public. A few years ago, they found this footage of him uh, in his wheelchair, a a film, and it's one of the only in existence. You can kind of see some photos of him, but there aren't that many. And I think that came from also just more of a understanding from the press of if you take this photo, we might destroy your camera. Totally. And it's so interesting because we, we all know that he had polio, but yet you're right. We don't ever really see a lot of photos of him in the wheelchair. No. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and there is a monument of him that is mm-hmm. him in his wheelchair. It's a shame because obviously he was a president with a disability. That would have been meaningful to so many people. And it's a shame that the societal perception was he can't be this to have this position. Beginning in 1925, Roosevelt was spending most of his time in Warm Springs, Georgia at his little white house. At this time, he was super into hydrotherapy and wanted to create a rehab center there, which actually still exists today. This is where he housed his very own iron lung. It's a long yellow metal tube that would assist him in breathing. However, he was known for having a pretty robust muscular upper body, so he didn't need help breathing too often. The Emerson Iron Lung is the version which is still on display at Roosevelt's Little White House. Worth noting, though, some modern studies suggest that he didn't actually have 
polio, but uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome. But, you know, that's not really confirmed. We just wanted to mention it for the sake of mentioning it. Back to you, Jess. Polio vaccines were created and distributed throughout the 1950s. Nevertheless, several thousand Americans were left paralyzed due to this disease. This means unable to walk, move, and even breathe due to a paralyzed diaphragm. And if you can't breathe, you can't live. Yep, and that's why the iron lung was invented. So imagine this. You are suffering from the extreme paralysis of polio, and it's so unbearable that you are in fact dying and you need medical intervention. And it just so happens there's a device that can help. Doctors prep and lay you down on a cot, sealing your body in an airtight chamber. Your head is the only body part exposed, sticking out the top of a whirring cylindrical machine. Not terrifying at all. Yeah. (laughs) At your feet are electric motors, bellows, and tubes. The doctors seal you in by clicking the, it's called dogs in place, which they're just locks that close you in like little hatches on a ship. Your neck is rested on foam or rubber and an airtight collar is sealed around it. Suddenly, air is sucked out of the machine, causing you to gasp, but then as quickly as it left, air is now pushed back into the machine, forcing you to exhale. That more or less is how an iron lung works. Yeah, it's a big pressure chamber, not a literal lung, more specifically a negative pressure ventilator or a uh, NPV, a mechanical breathing machine, if you will. These NPVs are a little less invasive. There are positive pressure ventilation systems which blow air into the patient's lungs via tubes in the trachea or by using a mask. And this is what we see commonly today. In an iron lung, you'll find a large horizontal tube, which is designed to stimulate breathing in patients who have lost control of their respiratory muscles. And if you're trying to visualize it, it kind of looks like your own personal submarine. The reason for needing an iron lung can vary. So a person might be sick with polio, as we mentioned, that seems to be the pretty predominant one, botulism, or maybe you've even become afflicted by a certain poison. When a person is placed in an iron lung, they lie on their back with their head sticking out of one end of the cylinder. The whole head is exposed down to the voice box, making sure the throat can gulp up outside air. The person is sealed inside and the air pressure is cycled up and down to facilitate this breathing. Basically, the iron lung changes air pressure inside the tank and it forces your body to breathe. Essentially, the changing Pressure forces the lungs to push and expand, so this stimulates breathing by doing the work of the diaphragm on the outside. Think about any time you've been on a mountain or in an airplane, and then your plastic water bottle, if it's it's empty, it starts to crunch from the lack of oxygen. Mm-hmm. Then when you go down the mountain or land the plane, the water bottle is puffed up with air. Yeah, that's like a perfect example. Yeah, the iron lung works similar to this. So the air pressure increases inside the machine and contracts the lungs, and then the air pressure decreases and the lungs expand. It's so key when muscle control of the body is lost or if breathing is too hard to do. Yeah, and there are a lot of different kinds of iron lungs, and not all of them are made out of iron, but we will get back to that. (laughs) Well, I feel lied to. (laughs) Let's get into the mechanics of the device. We mentioned the tube that pumps air from a mechanical diaphragm. Not like the human diaphragm though, which is a dome-shaped muscular partition which separates the thorax from the abdomen to help us breathe. A diaphragm also refers to a thin sheet of material which forms a partition. Side note, all mammals, including us humans, breathe via NPV, this negative pressure ventilation. And this is when the rib cage and the chest cavity expand 
and is because our diaphragm <gasps> we have was, to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's our diaphragms are contracting. Yeah. And the iron lung diaphragm acts similarly. The, the sealed end of the iron lung has a small partition, which mechanically extends and retracts. It's kind of like those old timey fire bellows that people used to blow air onto the fireplace. The mechanical diaphragm causes the patient's chest and abdomen to expand by pulling air out of the tube, creating this vacuum and then causing the person to like gasp like. (gasps) Then when the diaphragm retracts, the air is compressed. So this causes the air in the person's lungs to be pushed out, forcing them to exhale. It's a really, really clever invention. Okay, if you think about it and the fact of how old it is, too, and that it's non-invasive, it's not that expensive to make and it's effective. I was surprised to learn that iron lungs date back all the way to 1670. Yeah, that's that's a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. English scientist John Mayo dreamed up the idea to create a breathing machine, and he actually used the bellows Elise just mentioned. While Mayo studied, quote unquote, air inhalation for the rest of his career, he didn't invent the mechanics of the iron lung per se. It took a few more centuries to actually get the device up and working, right, Jess? Yeah, early prototypes of the iron lung weren't, in fact, iron at all. Airtight, (laughs) yeah, yeah. They were airtight wooden boxes. Um, They were the first used by Dr. Stewart from South Africa in 1918 and were specifically designed for the treatment of polio patients. It would be Philip Drinker and Lewis Shaw, two Harvard professors, who would then rake in the big bucks when it came to the invention that we more modernly think of. Yeah, their prototype is called the drinker respirator. <laughs> Which, I don't know why that sounds like a... <laughs> yeah, and for me, this is weird, but like when I think drinker, I think lungs filling with fluid, which is not good. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, not good. In 1928, the machine that they made used literal vacuum cleaners, which at the time was also still a new invention. <laughs> <laughs> the iron lung was powered by an electric motor with air pumps that connected to these vacuums. And the pumps change the air pressure inside a metal airtight box by pulling the air in and out of the box. The Iron Lung debuted dramatically on October 12th, 1928 at Boston's Children's Hospital. I can imagine if there's a patient that's really, really suffering and you're Mm. like, we're going to put this in here and test it and show you how this person's health can go from zero to 10 in minutes. I'd Mm -hmm. say that's probably a pretty dramatic thing to see. Sure. sure. And uh, there was an eight-year-old girl who was on her deathbed dying from respiratory failure due to polio. Doctors moved her into an airtight metal box. Her tiny head stuck out of the top of the machine with a tight rubber seal supporting her neck. Within less than a minute of being placed in the chamber, she was recovered. Wild. Imagine like to behold that. It's incredible. Yeah. Or to be the parents of that little girl or her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Her dramatic recovery thrust the machine into the realm of popularized medicine The polio vaccine, meanwhile, was not perfected until 1952. So the iron lung was a life-saving game changer before then if you were suffering from the disease. Even though it was polio patients who benefited from the invention of the iron lung, it was not manufactured with them in mind, though. The machine was actually intended for victims of, like, 
coal gas poisoning. Which makes so much sense given the predominance of coal mining uh-huh. back then and, and how people suffered black lung and horrible things from it. And yeah. we are going to learn a bit more about what this was really formed for after a word from our sponsors. Life is full of challenging choices and finding the right path isn't always easy. It doesn't matter whether you're thinking through career decisions, relationships, whatever it may be, therapy provides the support you need to stay connected to your true desires while navigating life's uncertainties. And with therapy, it can help you confidently, enthusiastically move forward and trust yourself to make decisions that align with your values. And that is a skill that improves with practice just like anything else. And one thing that can help you cultivate that trust is going to therapy. I personally have gone to therapy for about three years now, and it is the best thing I've ever done. It's helped my personal relationships, uh, my work relationships, and uh, everything in between. It's made me handle conflict so much better, and it's just rewired my brain to think of things in a different new light, which I'm very thankful for. Therapy equips you with, you know, positive coping skills, and it's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. It's for anybody seeking personal growth and well-being. Consider giving BetterHelp a try if you're contemplating starting therapy. It's a convenient and flexible online platform designed to cater to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, and they match you with a licensed therapist. Let therapy be your map with better help. Visit betterhelp.com slash 30mm today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash 30mm. I love food and cooking, but you want to know what I don't love? The grocery store. It is so tedious to find everything that I need, and sometimes I just don't have time. So that's why... uh. I need HelloFresh. I need it. I love it. It's great. You can enjoy the convenience of farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep thanks to HelloFresh. And this summer, HelloFresh has the freshest produce straight from the farm. From mouth-watering fruits to vibrant vegetables, you get the best picks all season long. Ingredients make the journey from farm to your door in less than seven days. Plus, they have all kinds of variety for uh, differing food needs like calorie smart and protein smart, lunch and dinner options, even vegan dinners. I have actually tried HelloFresh and have been using them for quite a bit now. Um, My favorite, I usually pick the quick and easy because I just don't want to, like, I I don't, as much as like I do enjoy cooking, most of the time I find myself in just periods of like, I just need to cook this quickly. Like, especially during the week, like on the weekends, I can have more fun with it, but I go for quick and easy with HelloFresh just because like they are quick and easy and they're delicious. And I feel good eating like quality ingredients. So go to hellofresh.com slash 30 MM 50 and use code 30 MM 50 for 50% off plus free shipping. That's 50% off plus free shipping at hellofresh.com slash 30 MM 50 and use code 30mm50. Back to the show. So we were just talking about how the iron lung was actually originally invented with coal gas poisoning victims in mind 
And coal gas consists of an almost equal mixture of carbon monoxide and hydrogen. Prior to the development of natural gas during the 1940s and 50s in the U.S., coal was the main supply of fuel and lighting. And it's also really poisonous. Mm-hmm. It is a uh, gaseous fuel made from heated coal that is not exposed to air. People also refer to coal gas as town gas because it was distributed via pipes into consumers' homes. Trigger warning here, though. Using town gas was also a popular way to commit suicide back then. You might remember our episode about the electric convulsive therapies, ECT. Sylvia Plath, as we mentioned, committed suicide by putting her head in her oven and breathing in coal gas. So when the inventors of the iron lung started their invention process, it was with those who were poisoned by coal gas in mind. If Sylvia Plath had been found before she died, she most likely would have been placed in an iron lung to try to save her life. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as time went on, people saw the medical benefits of the iron lung, and it became famously used for the treatment of respiratory failure caused by polio. Mm -hmm. And this is where people started to say like, oh, okay, well, polio causes these symptoms. It's causing respiratory failure. What do we have? Oh, the iron lung. Like, this might actually work here. Yeah. Yeah, because it affects the same things as as the coal would, right, Jess? Yes. The paralysis affects the lungs and the muscles around the diaphragm, like we're talking, Mm -hmm. essentially choking the person to death by failing to inhale and exhale (sighs) by themselves. like, what a horrific way to be suffering and die. It is because breathing is such an involuntary thing for us to do. We don't think about it. So for you to just, oh, it's the worst. That's Mm -hmm. like- It's like drowning is one of my worst fears too. Just not being able to breathe in general is just scares me. Obviously. Do you know the the rare moments when you do think about breathing and then you, and then for about a couple minute after you're like, now I'm thinking about every breath. I'm thinking about every breath. And then I, then I get anxious about it for some reason. I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, now my breath is picking it. Why am I thinking about this? Yeah. It's, It's also fascinating to go online and look at lung respirator wards from the 1950s photos you said awards. And I was like, what? Oh, okay. Wards. Yes. <laughs> Best <it>. breathing goes to <laughs> Tommy Big Lungs. Awesome. Now, though, the wards and hospitals, they had whole areas dedicated to just these machines with rows and rows of iron lungs with people inside. The sound of the machines alone must have been so overwhelming. Oh, God. Yeah. The machines are about seven feet long and rooms could have a often have like eight to 20 iron lungs at a time in there. And when the polio epidemic was in full swing, hospital wards would be filled with sick and dying kids in all iron lungs. Mm -hmm. It became more widely used after 1931 when inventor John Emerson cut the cost almost in half and made the machine more comfortable. I love when somebody comes in and is like, how do we make this medical equipment or this drug or something more accessible, more affordable for people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Most notably, Emerson's iron lung was equipped with a bed, also referred to as the cookie tray. The cookie tray could slide in and out of the metal cylinder. Early advertisements for the iron lung boasted instantaneous hand operation and adjustable removable headrests. Pretty nice. Okay. Luxury. Luxury there. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. The side of the tank uh, also had portal windows so people could reach in and adjust the patient's limbs or heat packs. Mm -hmm. And they kept improving on that design too. There's an advertisement for the Drinker Collins duplex model respirator 
that says an extra working port has been added to the bedpan doors so any portion of the patient's body can be reached from either side of the machine. Now, Jess, I mean, we'd be like, okay, we got an iPhone charger <laughs> in there. <laughs> I know, exactly. I can play my Switch in it. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And remember, polio paralysis affects your bowels and bladder as well. So bedpan access is a uh, pretty great upgrade. Yeah, it almost know? feels essential. <laughs> Yeah. And the ad went on to say the light and motor switch have a new guard to protect them from damage and eliminate the accidental shutting off of power. So pretty vital improvements. God, accidental shutting yeah. off of powder. Yeah, that would be very good. Um, but usually the iron lung is intended to get people breathing on their own after a while. Because I'm sure throughout this entire thing, I was also wondering it too. What is their quality of life like? Yeah. Are they just in there forever just How staring at the ceiling? How long are you in there for? Yeah. Do you have to every second? It's like the, you know, the the bubble boy, the, yeah. the people whose systems are, immune systems are so compromised that you literally have to live in a sealed bubble. Like it, what is this like, right? Yeah. And is it, again, your quality of life, like how yes. worth it is it? So, yes. um but yeah. yes, it was intended to get people breathing uh, on their own after a while. The patient would be placed in the chamber for one to two weeks or however long it took them to begin breathing independently. One to two weeks is still a really long time. <laughs> it is to yeah. be just, and especially back then when yeah. they didn't have like TVs or switches or iPhones <laughs> like you were saying. Yeah. Or a great podcast hosted by two charming, lovely gals. Ooh. Uh, So one to two weeks was pretty much the standard time about. However, it did not take one to two weeks for Paul Alexander, a six-year-old boy who contracted polio in 1952. Yeah. On a hot summer day in Texas, 1952, young Alexander began not feeling very well. His neck hurt, his head hurt, and he was burning up with a fever. Within a few days, Alexander couldn't move, speak, or swallow. The young boy had contracted polio just before the polio vaccine was to be widely distributed to the public, which is even more tragic. Uh, He was unable to breathe due to the paralysis he experienced from his neck down. And so doctors placed Alexander in an iron lung. Alexander would stay in the iron lung for the next 70 years. Today, he is one of the last people to continue to use the device. Yes, as of today, currently, he is still in the iron lung. Mm -hmm. He's in his late 70s, alive and well. Mm -hmm. Uh, The iron lung has helped him breathe for the last seven decades. You've probably seen him just like sometimes he'll just be circulating on social media randomly. Mm -hmm. So you've probably seen him. Yeah. But despite being confined to the steel box, Alexander has managed to live a very full life. Alexander told an interviewer, I never gave up and I'm not going to. While living in the lung, he's managed to graduate with honors from his high school and received a scholarship to Southern Methodist University. Yeah, he would attend classes in a wheelchair for, you know, the brief moments that he could leave the device. And in order to do this, Alexander had to teach himself how to frog breathe. That is when a person contracts the muscles in their throat to gulp air down and out of their lungs. Jess, like for me, it was hard to go to school on days when it was cold. <laughs> I, I you know, it makes you yeah. feel like just a total bum when you see that somebody with so much adversity was like, I'm gonna do this regardless, right? It's and it's literally what we were talking about going from like involuntary breathing to having to think about mm-hmm. to breathe. Like that is so much mental energy, also just mm-hmm. to be like, wait a minute, oh, forgot to breathe here for a minute. But man, yep. how incredible! It's incredible. Yeah. And he went even further than that because he graduated with a juris doctor from the University of Texas. Austin Law School, and then worked as a, had a career as a lawyer. 
And he told reporters that he was a damn good one, too. Oh, I love the attitude. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. In 2020, Alexander wrote a book about his experience called Three Minutes for a Dog, My Life and the Iron Lung. And he literally wrote it. It took him five years with some assistance, but Alexander wrote his memoir by holding a pen in his mouth. We're never allowed to complain ever again. Literally when I see, I know, I'm like, God, I am such a complainer. We are. I don't really never, (laughs) never again. No. In 2004, there were still 39 people living relying on the iron lung. Today, there are only two people living full-time inside of one, the other survivor, in addition to Alexander, being Martha Lillard. Lillard had just celebrated her fifth birthday on June 8th, 1953, by going to an amusement park in Oklahoma. One week later, she had a sore throat and pain in her neck. Her family rushed her to the hospital, and doctors confirmed their fear. It was polio. She spent the next six months of her life in the hospital inside an iron lung. Today, Lillard is one of the last people in the U.S. who still depends on the device to survive, unlike Alexander. Lillard only uses the machine at night while she is sleeping. And in the 1990s, when her personal iron lung was starting to break down, which is so scary to think about because Mm -hmm. it's not a common problem now. So nobody's making these. Nobody's repairing them or knows how to. What do Mm -hmm. you do? So she had to call hospitals and museums to see if they would sell her one. (laughs) Wild. Yeah. And or like most places either had thrown them away or they didn't want to part with them, which to me seems so just inhumane to say, oh, sorry, we need this on display, so we don't want to give it to you. Yeah, that's crazy. And also, I feel like maybe, because I know, you know, thank God for the vaccine and everything. And um, But again, you know, I, I think about like the COVID times and it was affecting our lungs for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm like, should we just keep a couple just like in the yeah. shed in the back yeah. just in yeah. case? Just have some I don't reserve know. somewhere. <laughs> just, you know, for, just, yeah, you know. But she eventually found a man in Utah willing to part with his iron lung, and it is still the machine she uses today. But rather than wean herself off the iron lung like many post-polio patients did and have done, Lillard told NPR's Radio Diaries, I've tried all the forms of ventilation, and the iron lung is the most efficient, the best, and the most comfortable way. Damn, hell yeah. But even though she says it was the most comfortable breathing treatment, Lillard has had some nightmarish experiences with her iron lung. Ugh, one time while in the machine, she lost power during an ice storm. Remember, she's in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Her emergency generator did not switch on, which left her trapped. She was stuck in the freezing iron lung without heat. She said it was like being buried alive almost, you know, it's so scary. And she tried to call 911, but the phones weren't working. Ugh. Uh, she says yep. she recalls, I was having trouble breathing and I remember saying out loud to myself, I'm not going to die, which got, she's already somebody that I feel like has, you know, fought for her life. So mm-hmm. I, she seems, you know, steel willed to me too, right? Mm-hmm. Iron willed. Yeah, iron willed. <laughs> iron lung, iron will. Yeah. But when she eventually got a signal and called 911, the emergency responders had no idea what the iron lung even was. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. What is this giant metal <laughs> tube contraction? <laughs> like a tanning um, bed. Yeah, that's what that's probably what they thought. Yeah. Jeez. But instead they just turned the generator on for her so she could just get herself out. And despite, it sounds like such a simple yeah, thing, but yeah. Despite this like harrowing experience though, Lillard said that she worries most about the wear that happens to her machine. 
because like we said, it's not easy to find. The belts need to be replaced every few weeks. The cotton side has to get replaced every six months. And then the motor has to get replaced about every 12 years or so. Wow. Yeah. Her most immediate need is the collars, which is what helps the seal be airtight around her neck. It is essential for the machine to work. Each one only lasts a few months. Yeah. And she said before, that's the main thing I'm having a hard time with because I try to stretch out, make these collars last longer. And when they start deteriorating, it gets harder to breathe as they leak more. And she only has a handful of collars left, apparently. For the most part, iron lungs are obsolete. The polio vaccine and other more modern therapies have been developed, which means that the iron lung isn't really being manufactured anymore. But again, it'd be cool if we had some reserves just in case. Yes. And like, you know, Lillard has purchased all the back stock that she could find of these airtight collars from places that no longer even make iron lungs. And she really only has one other person, Alexander, who we mentioned before, to kind of relate to and also kind of compete with when it comes to purchasing and finding these items. And Mm. it's so scary, I imagine, to watch that supply dwindle. And then, you know, when either of them pass away and to be that last person must be a really lonely, weird feeling. Mm -hmm. She, She said, and quote, I really am desperate. That's the scariest thing in my life right now is not finding anybody that can make these collars, end quote. Mm -hmm. Uh, And despite having spent most of her life isolated, especially COVID-19, of course, you know, in feeling scared that her life-saving device may go obsolete sooner than later, she remains optimistic. I swear the two of them, Alexander and her, have the, the mental fortitude is incredible. You and me are fucking babies. I know. <laughs> Just the entire time I'm like, God. Yes. Let me go bash my brain into a wall. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> no, my my finger hurts. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Grow yeah. up. Um, but she she told NPR, quote, it's what sustains me. It's what heals me. It's what allows me to breathe the next day. I look at it as a friend, as a very dear friend. I'd become attached too. Yeah, I would dependent. Yeah, and while the name Iron Lung is hardcore and people are fascinated by the device having sort of built it up to be this scary, morbid, and downright intimidating thing, most who have relied on the machine, like Lillard, have a gratitude for the invention. Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. And it, it makes sense. It's help, helping them mm-hmm. keep them alive. Yeah. And there's a pretty adorable photo in the NPR article showing you a a young Lillard inside of the iron lung. Her small body is dwarfed by the machine, which has like a small window and a whole bunch of knobs and levers. Oh gosh. Yeah. All that's visible of her body is her like small head and a bow, which sits on top of her curly brown ponytail. And she is just smiling ear to ear right at the camera, almost as if she's not in this life-saving machine. Mm Mm-hmm. And while these images become increasingly rare as history moves forward, the device does sometimes find purpose in modern day. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with COVID-19, Jess. The iron lung was minimally brought back into use. So these hospitals, facilities that were overwhelmed saw it as a cheap and easily producible treatment for patients who could no longer breathe on their own. So I wonder if maybe maybe with COVID and there was a supply created, perhaps she was willing or she was able to sort of capitalize on that and get get some of this stock? I hope. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. And after hearing all these, you know, miraculous stories of how the simple yet effective iron lung saved people's lives, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic, we here at 30 more minutes stand. 
the iron lung. We're fans. Is yeah. what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. Iron lung for life. Except I hope nobody has to use it for life. And I... No. Same. And, and it is interesting how, you know, so many of these people that the, the early 50s, they contract polio and now they have to use the iron lung. The route of going, you know, vaccine versus cure definitely mm-hmm. means that there are those people that get left behind, right? Yeah. We, we as a society move forward and we say, okay, we have a vaccine now. This isn't a problem for us going forward. But then you have those few who, well, it's still a problem for them and you're not finding a cure. So they're they're now, that's their life. Yeah. And this might be a naive question and I just Googled it here. But um, I I actually, because like I, w- I am so far removed from the polio times and I've obviously when I was a baby got my vaccine and everything, but I just didn't know how one contracted polio and how this even began in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, I, I mean, I just did a quick Google and uh, the CDC here is saying that it's it, it lives in the infected person's throat and intestines, enters the body through the mouth, spread through contact with feces of an infected yeah, person. Yeah, which is, this is, you know, weird. Why the, the pool closures, I can see why that would be a big thing, right? Yes, yes. Like I literally went to a pool not too long ago and one of the pool rules was like, if you've had diarrhea in the past two weeks, do not enter the pool. Like, okay, Oop. well, we'd never go swimming if we, we would had never to swim. abide by that rule. Exactly. <laughs> but, but I mean, yeah, there are still things nowadays just in our poop. And not, I'm not saying polio. I mean, maybe. Well, oh, everyone should have the vaccine. But there are like, so many communicable poop diseases. <laughs> exactly. It's unreal. It's just crazy. But yeah. And I'm sure we'll cover more on this podcast in yeah. the weeks, months, yeah. years. And how contagious it was. And, and the fact that all children were infected with polio at some point is just crazy. It just. Yeah. Uh, and then it targets children is yeah. so scary. Too, we right? should do an episode on just diseases. Yeah, just, I mean, we could do an infectious disease. They're in, they're just even like the plague, just everything. I don't. Uh, I'm I mean, going the off fact tangent that now, but it's microscopic. You can't see it; makes it even a scarier threat. Yeah, I mean, that's why just, COVID too. We were so yeah, you know, and it just wipes out a whole population of people. Mm-hmm. Just completely. We're just our bodies just not being pr- that we should do an episode on this. Yeah, and I feel like how you know our bodies fight this shit or we, not fight it. Yeah, we've dabbled here and there whenever the plague comes up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, which speaking of, go back and listen to our old episodes if you're new here. Everything's evergreen, so yeah. you go listen to the old stuff. It won't feel out of date. Oh no, we're talking about all types of weird stuff, and, and even the Victorian. I mean, they were just leaving trash and feces in the streets and stuff. It was very dirty back then. Yep. So, but that's even further back. It's a breeding ground than, for disease. You know, yeah. Yeah. The early 1900s. So, but yeah, this was a great episode because like I've always, I knew what the iron lung was. I knew what it looked like. I didn't really know how it worked when the person's like head is out of it. How do they stay in it forever? So this was great. I learned a yeah. lot. Yeah. It was a cool one. But we have some cool things to talk about real quick. That is our merch. We have some really cool merch in our store right now uh, at the Rooster Teeth store. Just click podcasts, I think, and then 30 Morbid Minutes mm-hmm. and find all of mm-hmm. our cool merch. Love it. Beautiful. We have these these black hoodies that I love that have like a turquoise and gold and white design on them by Stevie Jude. They're beautiful. You and get compliments on that one all the time, right? I, I do. And then like also a lot of people on my team at, at Funhouse, they wear it too. And I'm like, oh, guys. Hell yeah. Yeah. I, I've been getting compliments around the, uh, I was going to say around the house, uh, around the <laughs> office for the new one that just came out, the um, 
it's just the the green and blue one. Oh, the all over the, print T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Coworkers just coming up to me. Where'd you get that shirt? I'm like, it's our, it's our shirt. Yeah. It's, it's our <laughs> shirt. You can have one. <laughs> yeah. Go get one. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're a hit. Great. That, yeah. They're, they're so cute. And the art is so amazing. I love it. And what else? Just, oh, go check out our friends at Red Web. Yeah. If you like our kind of content and our podcast, they do all kinds of conspiracy stuff too. And mm-hmm. just, a, it's a blast as well. And yep. I think that's it for now, Jess, until we, you know, want to hit the public pool together. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's keep, let's just keep checking in with each other. Make sure neither one of us have had diarrhea and maybe in about 40 years we could probably go. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just take some like Pepto-Bismol still doesn't work. Oh God. Pepto, anyway. Pepto-Abysmal. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you and I <laughs> take. Well, that go. sounds like it's another bad buy for us. Yeah. All right. Bad bye, Poopy Elise. Bad bye, Poopy Jessica. <laughs>